The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Marcus Path with you as always alongside Reggie Rizzo on today's episode, Ape Memory. It may rival that of humans. The world's oldest horse saddle is found in Mongolia and dates back millennia. And one parcel delivery service presents a solution to the rise in package theft around the holidays. That plus This Week in History looks back at the invention of an American classic, basketball. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. Well, they say an elephant never forgets, and while that may be true, it appears the same can be said for apes. A new study out of Johns Hopkins University found that apes recognize photos of groupmates they haven't seen in more than 25 years and respond even more enthusiastically to pictures of their friends. The research was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and reportedly demonstrates the longest-lasting social memory ever documented outside of humans, per author Jill Rosen. It also underscores how human culture evolved from the common ancestors we share with apes. Christopher Krupenier is an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins and was a senior author on the study. He said, quote, chimpanzees and bonobos recognize individuals even though they haven't seen them for multiple decades. And then there's this small but significant pattern of greater attention towards individuals with whom they had more positive relationships. It suggests that this is more than just familiar that they're keeping track of aspects of the quality of these social relationships, end quote. The research team was inspired to pursue the question of how long apes remember their friends and peers. Following their own experiences working with the primates, they got the sense that these animals recognized them when they'd visit, even after they'd been away for a long while. Per Krupenier, quote, you have the impression that they're responding like they recognize you and that to them, you're really different from the average zoo guest. They're excited to see you again. So our goal with this study was to ask empirically, if that's the case, do they really have a robust, lasting memory for familiar social partners, end quote. So how was the research carried out? Well, the team worked with chimpanzees and bonobos at Edinburgh Zoo in Scotland, Plankendale Zoo in Belgium, and Kumamoto Sanctuary in Japan. They collected photographs of apes that had either left the zoos or died, individuals that participants hadn't seen for at least nine months, and in some cases for as long as 26 years. The researchers also collected information about the relationships each participant had with the former groupmates, meaning were their interactions primarily positive or were they negative? So to get started with their experiment, the researchers then invited apes to participate by offering them juice. I like that. And while they sipped it, the apes were shown two side-by-side photos, one of an ape they'd once known and another of a total stranger. Using a non-invasive eye-tracking device, the team then measured where the apes looked and for how long, hypothesizing they'd look longer at apes they recognize. And that's exactly what happened. The apes looked significantly longer at former groupmates, no matter how long they'd been apart, and they looked even longer at their former friends or those they'd had more positive interactions with. 
In the most extreme case, Bonobo Louise hadn't seen her sister Loretta nor her nephew Aaron for more than 26 years at the time of testing, but demonstrated a sharp bias towards both of them over eight different trials. Lead author Laura Lewis, a biological anthropologist and comparative psychologist at Cal Berkeley, said, quote, We tend to think about great apes as quite different from ourselves, but we have really seen these animals as possessing cognitive mechanisms that are very similar to our own, including memory. And I think that's what's so exciting about this study, end quote. The findings indicate that social memory in great apes may last beyond 26 years, encompassing a significant portion of their 40 to 60 year average lifespan. Their long lasting social memory appears comparable to humans whose social memory begins to decline after 15 years, but can persist for as long as 48 years after separation. The long lasting social memory in both humans and our closest relatives suggests that this kind of memory was likely already present millions of years ago in our common evolutionary ancestors. For the Johns Hopkins study recap, this memory likely forged a foundation for the evolution of human culture and enabled the emergence of uniquely human forms of interaction, such as intergroup trade, where relationships are maintained over many years after separation. The idea that apes remember information about the quality of their relationships for years, even beyond functional necessity, is another noteworthy and human-like aspect revealed by the research, as noted by Krupenye. According to Lewis, the pattern of social relationships influencing long-term memory in both chimps and bonobos mirrors what is observed in humans. Our own social relationships also appear to shape our long-term memory of individuals. Furthermore, the study prompts questions about whether apes miss individuals they are no longer with, particularly family and friends. Per Lewis, quote, the idea that they do remember others and therefore they may miss these individuals is really a powerful cognitive mechanism and something that's been thought of as uniquely human. Our study doesn't determine they are doing this, but it raises questions about the possibility that they may have the ability to do so, end quote. The team hopes the findings deepen people's understanding of the great apes, all of which are endangered species, unfortunately, while shedding new light on how deeply they could be affected when poaching and deforestation separate them from their groupmates. The team would next like to explore whether these long-lasting social memories are special to great apes or something experienced by other primates. They'd also like to test how rich the memories of apes are if, for instance, they possess lasting memories for experiences as well as individuals. I'm not really sure where to take this one, Reggie, other than to say it's neat, it's cool research to find out that that is, in fact, what's going on with apes. And I, I suppose it sheds new light on just how intelligent these beings actually are. Not to compare myself to an ape, which maybe I should, I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling if someone put a picture of someone I knew 26 years ago in front of me, I'd probably stare at that picture for a long time too, but thinking, how do I know this person? <laughs> they look familiar. How do I know them? Because that, that, that's what happens to me all the time. It, but isn't it, that what, what we're thinking here? I, I, I yeah. think that's well, what they're suggesting is that's what the apes are doing. They know it. Maybe they don't know exactly where, why, when, but there's something suggesting I, I've seen this individual before. Yeah, that's where I'm wondering is, are they just recognizing that they feel like they've seen that one before? Or are they recognizing as maybe, you know, maybe not think of it this way, but, you know, that's my friend. Mm -hmm. Or that's, you know, my, my son or, you know, how nephew or whatever. Are they recognizing the relationship they had or just looking at it thinking that ape looks familiar? Yeah, tough to say. But I think in either case, even if they sense 
familiarity, that is certainly a discovery that's noteworthy, and and we'll be interested to see where this research team takes it next. They probably still had me beat, because there are times I go to my hometown, and I see somebody, and they start talking to me, and I walk away thinking, (laughs) I have no idea who that person was. (laughs) These apes are smarter than me. (laughs) We've all been there, and if you see what I look like waking up on Saturday morning, you might think I'm an ape as well. As package deliveries increase over the holiday season, so does package theft. According to SafeWise, around 260 million packages disappeared in the U.S. last year, with many of them taken from the front door, with cameras even recording those thefts. In fact, nearly 25% of adults have had a package stolen within the last year, according to a survey from Finder. Security.org found that the median value for stolen packages was $50, and that amounted to $2.4 billion lost last year. Now, when it comes to items being delivered for health reasons, that that can be a pretty serious problem. When it comes to high-value items, that can also be a concern. Texas Precious Metals delivers products like silver bars and gold coins. Since their packages are of higher value, they started using a new product from UPS called Delivery Defense. The company says Delivery Defense can help identify addresses that are likely targets of theft. The UPS program uses AI technology to look at a person's address and assign it a score. The higher the score, the better chance the person will receive their package without issues. The score is generated by using years of data that they have received from other deliveries, along with a few other factors that they work in as well. Mark Robinson, president of UPS Capital, told CBS News about 2% of addresses will be considered low confidence, and we are seeing that represents about 30% of losses our customers are having. When talking to Fox Business, Robinson added, by proactively identifying and addressing potential shipping issues, delivery defense data increases the confidence in a successful delivery. Retailers can recommend alternative delivery options, such as a UPS store location or other convenient access points to optimize delivery outcomes, end quote. So if your house comes in with a low score, that item will have the option of being rerouted. Assuming you approve, you'll get a text or an email confirming the change in delivery location. Texas Precious Metals President Tarek Saab said he thinks the AI technology can reduce the thefts. Quote, we recognize it's computers versus criminals, and we have to use every tech capability that we have to try to circumvent any challenges we might run into, end quote. Now, when it comes to those numbers and you had 2% of addresses represent 30% of losses, that seems like pretty targeted information there. That's a large percent of losses in a small area. I, I don't know what you think, Marcus. Yeah, that's absolutely incredibly valuable and would seemingly lend support to the value of this program that UPS has rolled out. There's nothing more frustrating around the holidays than having a package stolen right off your your front step. And I live in the Las Vegas metro area, and it is all too common out here. And fortunately, my neighborhood has is not victimized too frequently, but I have a lot of friends and and colleagues and peers I know that deal with it far more regularly than I do. And it's it's a legitimate concern. And I'd have a few choice words for the individuals who are caught stealing these things because you never know whose Christmas you're ruining outright by doing so. I go with the old-fashioned method. Nosy neighbors. <laughs> They'll keep an eye on it for me. <laughs> sure. Well, that's good. Sometimes it's good to have a nosy neighbor. Not all the time, but in this particular situation, absolutely. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. 
That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at hashtagrenew.com. Well, back in April of 2015, a group of looters raided an ancient Mongolian burial site named Erd Ulan Unit, situated high in the Altai Mountains of Western Mongolia. Upon apprehending the culprits, police discovered a variety of artifacts, including a finely carved saddle crafted from multiple pieces of birchwood. Now, a recent study conducted by Mongolian researchers in collaboration with an archaeologist, William Taylor, from the University of Colorado Boulder, sheds light on this discovery. According to the team's radiocarbon dating, the saddle dates back to approximately the 4th century CE, making it one of the earliest frame saddles ever known globally. Describing the significance of the find, Taylor called it a, quote, watershed moment in the technological history of people and horses, end quote. The study was co-authored by scientists from 10 countries and published on December 12th in the academic journal Antiquity. The research emphasizes the underappreciated role played by ancient Mongolians in disseminating horse riding technology and culture worldwide. These advancements coincided with a new era of mounted warfare, unfortunately, but such is the nature of our history, occurring around the same time as the fall of the Roman Empire. Per the researchers, the discovery also underscores the profound connection between humans and animals in Mongolia. Over millennia, the pastoral peoples traversed the grasslands of the Mongolian steppe with these horses, known for their short but sturdy frame and ability to withstand harsh winter temperatures. Per Taylor, quote, ultimately technology originating from Mongolia has, through a domino effect, played a role in shaping the horse culture we witness in America today, particularly in our traditions related to saddlery and stirrups, end quote. So uh, just one of those kind of you know neat findings. You never really stop to think about about these things, Reg, but a horse saddle. How long have they been around? Who invented them? Who decided that bareback is not the best way to do this? We we need to find something that makes it a bit easier on the rider. And now we have at least some idea that this idea, should I say, actually was around in Mongolia millennia ago, many, 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 many years ago. And to think that a lot of the culture we experience, especially in the West, Western portion of the U.S., came from that is pretty neat to think about. And unfortunately, like a lot of the advances mankind has made, war did play a big part in it. I mean, as much as I don't like war, it does help us advance a lot of technology. In this case, the saddle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, that's certainly been something that's that's played a role in a lot of inventions throughout the years. Not always for good either, but in this instance, uh, a lot of good has seemingly come from it. Stepping away from Christmas for this day in history, in 1891, the first game of basketball, based on the rules created by James Naismith, was played by 18 students in Springfield, Massachusetts. Naismith was a Canadian physical education instructor, and he was asked by his boss to create a sport that could be played indoors during winter to help keep athletes in good shape. He also wanted a less injury-prone sport than football. So Naismith was a 31-year-old graduate student when he invented the game, if you've heard the history before, you know that peach baskets were originally used with a soccer-style type ball. He had a class of 18 students, divided them up in two teams. When a basket was scored, the game had to be paused, you know, so the janitor could pull out a ladder and fetch the ball from the basket. <laughs> Eventually, the bottoms were cut out, and of course, the game is now a multi-billion dollar industry with a bunch of rules. But in the beginning, there were only 
13 rules. All right. I, I want to get, I want you to get into those because I know this is going to be interesting, but I just feel bad for that poor janitor. It's like, Gary, the ball is stuck in the basket again. Could you go grab that ladder that you put away 10 minutes ago and retrieve that for us again? Yeah. He was yeah. probably sweating more than the players were at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Cause I don't think there was any dribbling at this point. It was like stationary passing. So yeah, Gary had to put in work. I don't know why I named him Gary, but in my mind, that's the janitor that was fetching the basketball. <laughs> Gary, the janitor, the ball fetcher. <laughs> <laughs> All right, taking a look at the 13 rules. A lot of them actually are in play still today. So rule one, the ball may be thrown in any direction with one or both hands. Still good. Mm -hmm. A ball may be batted in any direction with one or both hands. A player cannot run with the ball. The player must throw it from the spot on which he catches it. Allowances to be made for a man who catches a ball when running at good speed. So Fair I enough. feel like that, that's still in play because, you know, you usually get that step and a half or in the NBA five. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> but but it's a little different when you incorporate the dribble. Usually yes. if you catch it on the move, you're going to put the ball on the floor right away rather than trying to stop because dribbling just clearly isn't a, a piece of the game yet. But so far, you're right. These, these rules are very much still in play, in, at least in some form or fashion. The ball must be held in or between the hands the arms or the body must not be used for holding it which that has changed you can hold the ball against your body especially you know when you're fighting for it or something no shouldering holding pushing tripping or striking in any way the person or an opponent shall be allowed the first infringement by this rule by any person shall count as a foul the second shall disqualify him until the next goal is made or if there is evident intent to injure the person for the whole game no substitute that sounds more like hockey there because you commit multiple fouls. Suddenly you're sent out of the game, almost like a penalty box, which would stand a reason because James Naismith was a Canadian. Rule six, a foul is striking the ball with the fist. Violations of rules three, four, and such as described in rule five. This is where I thought it might get a little bit interesting. Rule seven, if either side makes three consecutive fouls, it shall count as a goal for the opponent. So three fouls in a row, the other team gets a score. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, you could argue that that to some extent is the precursor to the bonus rule where, hey, you reach seven fouls in college and high school, you get a bonus free throw. I mean, it, it doesn't appear as though free throws were a part yeah, of the Yeah, say free, free throws weren't around. So this was, I guess, the alternative to a free throw back when the game started yeah yeah a goal shall be made when the ball is thrown or batted from the grounds into the basket and stays there if the ball rests on the edge and the opponent moves the basket it shall count as a goal so goaltending already existed well nobody was playing above the rim at this point i'm going to guess <laughs> so it was well, you probably can hit the, harder the bottom of the basket yeah. I'm picturing George Costanza jumping in the episode with Jimmy's shoes. Uh, not very high. Rule nine, when the ball goes out of bounds, it shall be thrown into the field and played by the person first touching it. In the case of a dispute, the umpire shall throw it straight into the field. The thrower in is allowed five seconds. If he holds it longer, it shall go to the opponent. If any side persists in delaying the game, the umpire shall call a foul on them. Okay. Delay of game. That's still in the game. Rule 10, the umpire shall be the judge of the men and shall note the fouls and notify the referee when three consecutive fouls have been made. 
All right, fair enough. You have an official scorekeeper these days on the sidelines who notifies the referees when, hey, we've reached seven fouls. It's a bonus situation. So still in play to some extent. The referee shall be the judge of the ball and shall decide when the ball is in play, in bounds, and to which side it belongs and shall keep the time. He shall decide when a goal has been made and keep account of the goals with any other duties that are usually performed by a referee. Rule 12, the time shall be 15-minute halves with five-minute rests between. All right, you know, halftime. So that, that doesn't seem all that odd. The final one I find interesting, this is rule number 13, the side making the most goals in that time shall be declared the winner. That makes sense. In case of a draw, the game may, by agreement of the captains, be continued until another goal is made. So sudden death in the first basketball game. Yeah, all right, fair enough. I mean, you're playing it in presumably like a gym class setting. So, you know, you're, you're probably on a, a hard time. You got to get out of there. So uh, let's let's hurry up and declare a winner here. And I'm pretty sure the baskets weren't at a premium. We're, you weren't scoring 130 points like you do in the NBA. It was probably, <laughs> you know, like a 10 to 8 game. Yes, you know? so. yes it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And getting a single additional basket to that point, uh, yeah, that, that, that might take some time. So Yeah, hey. that may have taken another 15 minutes <laughs> right. you never know <laughs> but you know all in all 13 rules drafted up by james naismith at the time a lot of this is still driving what today's game looks like certainly with some some new things that have been introduced over time dribbling most notably but uh pretty wild to think that he just came up with this and threw the rules down. And frankly, it's kind of neat to think that these rules survived through all the years and were obviously built upon. Now you have a fairly large rule book that it contains all the rules, not just oh, yeah. 13 of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now you've got maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, 1,300 rules. In <laughs> Thanks for joining us on another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. Reach us at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. We accept questions, comments, thoughts. Venmo. Venmo. <laughs> I'm Reggie Rizzo. The one begging for cash is Marcus Path. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>